you would please turn uh, to our scripture reading, uh, which is taken from Ephesians chapter 10, uh, sorry, chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. It's our scripture reading this morning. And then our sermon passage is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll be considering verses 1 and 2. So again, our scripture reading is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. And our sermon passage is 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. This is the Lord speaking to you. This is God's voice. Give your full attention to the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 6, 10-20 Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as... Shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now turning to our sermon passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired, infallible and inerrant word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful that you have left a great deposit for us. That we can hold your word in our hands, that we can hear your word read to us in your churches. We are thankful that you speak to us in your word. And we pray that you would cause us to cherish it. That it would be more precious to us than gold or silver. We pray that you would bless us now with the preaching of your word. We pray that you would guide the one who preaches, that you would give ears to the ones who hear, that you would make us all attentive to your word as it's preached, that you would instruct us, that you would spur us on, that you would encourage us, that you would discipline us, that you would show us your love for us through the preached word. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, you may be familiar with this, perhaps you've read through 2 Timothy sometime recently, but suffice it to say that Paul's second letter to Timothy, 
indicates that Pastor Timothy, who is serving as a minister in the city of Ephesus, that he has found himself in a difficult spot. This is not uncommon for any believer, much less a pastor of a church, to go through hardship, to go through trial. And even in, in the middle of a church, we often find challenges, difficulties, struggles, disagreements. Timothy has found himself in the middle of something that is not ideal, not optimal, not great for him. He's been left behind at Ephesus, possibly when Paul was arrested and shipped off to prison in Rome. And Timothy, Paul's protege, his spiritual son, was left to minister to people who had abandoned Paul, at least in part. Who had, at least for some of them, somewhat of an antipathy toward Paul. And having been made aware of the challenges that Timothy was now facing, Paul writes a letter designed to deliver both a combination of encouragement and a gentle kick in the seat of the pants to his beloved spiritual son. But this letter isn't written by someone who is distant and detached and unable to relate to Timothy's circumstances. Paul has been in Ephesus, but he's also been where Timothy now is. Paul writes as one who truly understands. He has endured his own hardships with these very people, the very people to whom Timothy is ministering. And in our passage, Paul gives Timothy two commands, two imperatives. In verse 1, he commands Timothy to be strengthened by grace. And then in verse 2, he commands Timothy to entrust to faithful men what he has heard, what Timothy has heard from Paul. Now, you've heard this before, but it's good to be reminded that the commands, the imperatives of Scripture, they always flow out of the indicatives of Scripture, the statements of fact, the the statements of what is true that you find in Scripture. And so when you find a command in Scripture, it's always helpful to go and, and to find the indicatives. And so we read a series of commands earlier in the worship service, the Ten Commandments. But what's the first thing that we read? The preface to the Ten Commandments. It's the statement of fact. It's the indicative. It's what the Lord God has done for His people. And so there's almost always, if not an explicit therefore, an implicit therefore, therefore do this. The Lord has done this for you, therefore you do this in response. The imperatives of our passage take us back to the indicatives, the statements of fact in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, and verses 13 and 14. And there, Paul reminded Timothy about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and also about the sound words that Timothy had heard from Paul. And those statements of fact in chapter 1 serve as the basis for Paul's commands in our passage this morning. Before we get there, I would ask you to consider this thought, to hold this thought in front of you as we work our way through the sermon today. Because Jesus died and is risen from the dead, you, therefore, be strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ. There's your indicative and your imperative. Because Jesus died and was risen and is risen from the dead, you, therefore, be strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ. The sermon has two points today. Very simple, very easy. The first, strength training. And the second, passing it on. Again, strength training and passing it on are the two points of the sermon. So we'll turn our attention to the first point of the sermon, strength training. The the second word in verse 1 tells us a lot about what follows it. Paul says 
in verse 1, you then. That word then, that's a key word for us. It could be translated, therefore, you therefore. And so we see in verse 1 of chapter 2 that Paul is simultaneously drawing a conclusion from the previous verses and making a contrast between those who were ashamed of the gospel and Timothy. You, therefore, do this in contrast to those who are doing that other thing. Paul commanded Timothy back in chapter 1, verse 8, not to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. He then reminded Timothy of what Jesus had done, the indicatives. He gave us grace before the ages began, Paul says back in chapter 1. He was the bodily manifestation of grace when he appeared in time. He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. These are the indicatives. Jesus Christ did all of these things for you and for me. By his death and resurrection, he conquered death and brought hopeless sinners to life. Therefore, he says to Timothy in our passage, because of all of these things that Jesus Christ did, therefore, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. In contrast to those in Asia who abandoned Paul, who were ashamed of the gospel, Timothy must not be ashamed. Rather, he's to be strengthened. To be ashamed, think about it. Now, it's one thing to feel shame because of something that you have done. It's another thing to be ashamed of something that you're affiliated with. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy not to be. In this case, it's wrong for him to be ashamed of the truth of the gospel, like those others have done. Well, the word translated be strengthened in verse 1, it's a command there, but it's in the passive voice. That's an interesting construction for us, isn't it? Do this, but be passive about it? How do we understand what Paul is talking about here? Now, most English translations from the New American Standard Bible to the New King James Version translate this word, be strong. But that doesn't capture the passive nature of the command. The ESV, I think, translates it well. Be strengthened. What does that suggest? That the strengthening comes from outside of you. Be strengthened. It makes it clear that the strengthening does not come from within Timothy. And so Paul is not telling Timothy to toughen up and be a man. He's not telling Timothy to pick yourself up and get moving. He's commanding him, in essence, to be picked up. To put himself in the way of being picked up. Paul here is speaking of spiritual strength, not physical strength, which is the way that this word is always used in the New Testament. The first time that the word is used is in Acts chapter 9, verse 22, in regards to Paul's own growth in spiritual strength. And it says there in 9.22, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. But one of the things that we can say about early convert Saul is that he did nothing of his own accord. He didn't go in search of Jesus. Jesus came after him. He sought him out on the road to Damascus. He transformed Saul. And in reality, the Lord does all of that for Saul, for Paul, for us. And so Paul, in our passage, is commanding Timothy to become spiritually strong, but it is to be done passively. In other words, he is to be continually dependent upon God. 
But how does that make him strong? How is he to be strengthened? What kind of strength training is passive strengthening? Well, in order to become physically strong, you have to work at it. I'm not a weightlifter. I've never enjoyed lifting weights. But I do know enough about it to know that if you put in the effort, you'll build up body mass. You'll build up muscle. You'll grow in strength. You've got to work at it. You either need a job that is physically demanding or you have to engage in some, some kind of exercise regimen to build up your strength. But becoming spiritually strong does not happen in the same way as becoming physically strong. Though some would love to conflate the, conflate the two. We, we confer a, a great amount of value on those who are physically impressive specimens, don't we? Paul commands Timothy to be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Just as weights are the instruments by which a bodybuilder becomes physically strong, grace is the instrument by which a, a Christian becomes spiritually strong. Timothy is to be strengthened by means of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is instrumental in growing us in spiritual strength. So you can't gin up this spiritual strength within yourself. You can't do it. The very nature of Christ's grace is that it comes from outside of ourselves. It's alien to us. It's a spiritual nutrient that our bodies don't manufacture themselves. Therefore, we cannot make ourselves spiritually strong. We don't have the grace in or of ourselves to do it. Our spiritual strengthening is passive work. Which simply means that we are being worked on by Jesus Christ. We don't, we don't do the spiritual workout. Christ does the workout on our, on our behalf. He does it on us. But we need to be clear about something. Growth and spiritual strength is anything but passive. It's not static or stagnant. Passively growing in spiritual strength does not mean that you get to sit around and do nothing. There is great activity in the spiritual growth of the Christian, but it is Christ who is active and who activates us. Timothy is to be strengthened by the means by means of the grace that is in Christ Jesus, but how does he receive that grace? Certainly it comes to him by the Holy Spirit, who, as chapter 1, verse 14 says, dwells within the hearts of believers. But we can also say that Timothy was to be strengthened by means of the grace in Christ Jesus through the means of grace. The Word of God, the sacraments, prayer. Each of these outward and ordinary means is a conveyance by which we receive the grace of Jesus Christ through faith in Him. Or another way to put it in the language of the Confession and the Catechisms, that these ordinary means communicate grace to us. As you partake each week by faith in the means of grace offered to you in this church, you will be spiritually strengthened by grace. As you read God's word, as you hear it preached, you will be strengthened. As you partake of the Lord's Supper and improve your own baptism, you will be strengthened. As you pray to God, you will be strengthened. To quote a fellow minister, this was posted on social media. You might have come across this in the last day or so. There is no better nourishment for your soul and that of your family than to sit under the singing, praying, reading, and preaching of God's word and to feast at his table with his people. There is no better way. And so half of the battle, more than half of the battle, is just showing up. 
being together in Christ's church. The way that you fan into flame the gift of God is the same way you are strengthened by grace through the ordinary means of grace. And the means of grace which Christ appointed, to, appointed all point to him and what he has done. They remind us, they cause us to remember Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is how you are able to be strengthened. And that leads us to the second command found in our passage, but also the second point of the sermon, passing it on. Having been strengthened by grace, verse 2 says that Timothy is then to entrust to faithful men what Paul has taught him. This is similar to what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 13 and 16. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul is commanding Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to the public preaching of Scripture, to the public assemblies of God's people. It is important that you spend time with the Lord in your daily walk. It's important for us that we worship the Lord, that we pray to Him, that we read His Word. But the primary means by which God conveys grace to you is through the ordinary means of grace found at the local body of which you're a part. Well, this teaching that Paul talks about in chapter 4, verse 16 of 1 Timothy, this teaching is Paul's apostolic message. What in other places he calls my gospel. The very thing that he received from Jesus on the road to Damascus. This is what Timothy is to entrust to faithful men. And what they have received from Timothy, they are to teach to others. This is a faithful passing along of the teaching, the sound words of chapter 1, verse 13, and the good deposit of chapter 1, verse 14, from one generation to the next generation. Paul here is not exactly setting it up because it originated with Jesus, but he is helping to establish apostolic succession, to borrow a phrase from the Roman Catholic Church. But the succession he established is entirely different from the Roman Catholic idea of the succession of popes. Roman Catholic apostolic succession is that one pope gives way to the next pope who gives way to the next pope and down through the ages. One man to one man to one man to one man. Timothy is to instruct men, men who will become instructors of other men. The apostolic teaching is not simply passed along from one man to another man and then to another man. It is to go from Paul to Timothy and then from Timothy it's to go out. To many others. And the reality is that Paul has taught many Tim- Timothys, hasn't he? Paul's teaching is to be entr- entrusted to faithful or trustworthy men, not just anyone, so that they might teach others. These are to be men who have proven themselves worthy of trust, who can handle the responsibility with faithfulness. There has to be gatekeeping that, go- that goes on in the church to assure that those who are entrusted with the, the teaching, the preaching, the, the administration of, of, of uh, supervisors uh, within our church, we have to be careful about who receives the mantle. 
John Stott has helpfully divided this transmission of the good deposit into four stages. The first stage is the Lord Jesus Christ teaching Paul. So Christ taught Paul. Christ taught the other disciples. And Paul, in our instance, was not simply making up what he taught as an apostle. He received it from Christ himself. That which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ, I pass on to you, he says in 1 Corinthians 11. He says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was taught directly by Jesus. And what he taught, he entrusted to others. That is why he has apostolic authority. He did meet with Jesus face to face, just like the other apostles. But that leads to the second stage, which is Paul entrusting what he has taught, what he was taught to other men. Stott writes, what has been entrusted to Paul by Christ, Paul in his turn has entrusted to Timothy. So my deposit becomes virtually your deposit. And what has been entrusted to me, chapter 1 verse 12, is now the truth that has been entrusted to you, chapter 1 verse 14. The third stage of transmission of the good deposit is what Timothy has heard from Paul. He is to entrust to faithful men. These faithful men are to be preachers, elders who will preserve the Christian tradition. And then the fourth stage of transmission is these men passing on what they have been taught by Timothy to others. And so it's not a a single straight line of apostolic succession. It starts with one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, and it expands exponentially out from there. So what Timothy has heard from Paul, he is to entrust to faithful or trustworthy men so that they will be able to teach others also. And the phrase that's found in verse 2, in the presence of many witnesses, it means simply that Paul's message to Timothy, it wasn't some private message. It wasn't something that's different than what is written. It wasn't tradition that's kept secret from the masses, that only the elites, that only those who have attained a, a high enough level may have. It's what Paul proclaimed publicly. What he proclaimed publicly, he also passed along privately to Timothy. This is the faith that Jude describes as that which was once for all delivered to the saints. It is the deposit entrusted not to one man, but to the entirety of the church. This prevents the church from having those within it who have secret special revelation. Revelation that God has given directly to them, but to no one else. And that supersedes, it surpasses, that, that has authority over all other revelation. And so Paul is appealing to the entire church to confirm the truth of what he and subsequently Timothy and subsequently other faithful men teach. He's saying this is verifiable. If what I don't teach, if what what I teach is not consistent with what God's word says, then you're able to identify that. But if it is consistent, you can verify it. And so what Paul commands Timothy here is what the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 verses 10 and 11 did intuitively. They examined the scriptures daily to see if the things that were taught by Paul and Silas were true. And this is the duty that's entrusted to the church as a whole as she subordinates herself to scripture. 
Now, it's telling that verses 1 and 2 make a single sentence. In a single breath, Paul commands Timothy to be strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ and also to entrust what he has heard from Paul to faithful men. We might not have put those two ideas together. But Paul connects being strengthened by grace with entrusting to faithful men. In order for Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel, as so many were in Asia, he must be strengthened by grace. But he can't just sit there. He can't rest on his laurels. He has to pass it on. If he tries to minister in his own strength, he will fail. But being strengthened by grace, Timothy will be enabled to pass along the apostolic teaching that he received from Paul to other faithful men. Now what we have heard in the scriptures, what you hear proclaimed each week, what you read in God's word, in your private study, this is all the result of a long line of transmission of the gospel from the apostles to faithful men and from faithful men to faithful men. So often, brothers and sisters, we're, we're guilty of this. We look to the future with fear. We think about the year ahead. And after the past couple of years we have, it's understandable that we might be a bit anxious, a little nervous. And we think, we think the world has, has never been this bad as it is right now. It can't possibly have been worse than it is right now. And it's going to hell in a handbasket. But what Paul is encouraging Timothy, what Paul is encouraging the ministers of Christ church, what Paul is encouraging you to do is to ensure that future generations, that our children's 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 have this deposit carried down to them. A hundred years from now, two hundred years from now, five hundred years from now, that they will have the truth of the gospel uncorrupted, unadulterated. And that is your and my duty to look out, not only for our children, but for their children and beyond, to make sure that they have the truth. And the way that we do this, brothers and sisters, is to be strengthened by grace. We in our day are the beneficiaries of this true apostolic succession, but we benefit only in as much as scripture is faithfully preached and taught. And so it is your and my duty to be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. This is not an option. When Christians are weak in their faith, the true gospel is distorted and perverted. And so we You and I, we must stop starving ourselves spiritually. We must feast on the ordinary means of grace so that we might be strengthened by the means of grace so that the pure, unadulterated gospel can be entrusted to the next generation of faithful men. We must shake off the shackles of spiritual laziness and diligently make use of God's word, the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and Baptism and prayer. We need to do this so that our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren will have free access to the fullness of truth that is God's Word. And so you're, you're being strengthened by grace. It's not just for you. When you engage in bodybuilding, when you engage in physical exercise, which is a good thing, 
I know I could use a little more of it. But mostly that's for my own benefit. Perhaps it will prolong my life for a few years, but mostly it's, it's for my own benefit. But when you're strengthened by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're doing it not just for yourself. It's inherently an unselfish endeavor on your part. You're doing it for the children who will come to this church or some other a hundred years from now. You're being strengthened by graces, not just for you, but for generations of believers who have yet to be born. And so, brothers and sisters, remember this, that Jesus Christ lived, he died, and he was raised back to life so that you and I would be made fit to live with him forever. And he does this by strengthening us, strengthening us by his grace. You're being made fit for heaven right now. God is strengthening you as he gives to you grace through the ordinary means that he has provided. And that, brothers and sisters, is good news because it speaks of his provision for your spiritual well-being. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we pray that you, by your sovereign power and according to your gracious will, would make us ready and able and willing to receive your grace. We pray that we would be strengthened by your grace. And so we pray, dear Lord, that you would help us as we think about all of the things that we want to do in this new year that we haven't been doing in the past. That we would make it, that we would resolve week in and week out each Lord's Day to assemble with your people to make diligent use of the means of grace that you have provided for us. We pray, O Lord, that you would help us to regularly, daily, study your word and to engage in prayer, to take time to talk with you. We pray, O Lord, that you would bless us through these means and that we would willingly receive your blessings. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.